Please join me in a prayer for God to illuminate our hearts and our minds. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 8. Listen to God's word for us. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you've founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have established, What are human beings that you're mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Sovereign, How majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. And I invite you to follow along in your Bibles or the Pew Bibles on page 1066. As I read, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church. It's summer, and I'm glad to see that you all made it here this morning at 10 a.m., a change in our schedule. For those of you who do not know me, I am Esther Choi, and I am your visiting pastor for the summer while Bobby is on sabbatical. And I will be here with you for eight Sundays, and you'll get to know a little bit about me as I share some stories um, about my life. Um, And one thing about my life that is kind of all-consuming is that I am a mother of three children who are school age. And I don't know about you, but in our house... We are so happy that it is summer, or that summer is very close at hand, um, because we're thankful for the slower pace, the longer days of the pool, and for us, 
it's a season of rest. And we're not quite fully there yet, um, because if you know, if you have children that are school age, you know that right now, before school is out, there is like this flurry of activities, the end of your picnics, the award ceremonies, games, recitals, all those things. And parents of school-aged children are exhausted. Now, you may not be a parent of a school-aged child, but maybe you too are in a season where you are exhausted, whether it's because of work, a relationship, life in general. And certainly for all of us, there is a wariness um, just living in our culture as we continue, um, as we did just recently, to hear of these heart-wrenching news stories um, of another incident of public gun violence, this time closer to home in Virginia Beach. We all can be exhausted. We all need a season of rest. You know, whenever these tragedies happen, these, these public gun violence tragedies, if you notice that the news always goes to asking this question, who was this person, this shooter? Have you noticed that? I must have read a few headlines, and a lot of those headlines try to get you by asking or, or saying what we know about this mass shooter. And the reason why is because we are all curious about knowing who this person was, where he came from, his history, his family, anything that might help us make sense of why he would do something so senseless. And I got to thinking that at the heart of this question is the question of identity. Who was he? Or more importantly, who did he think he was? Because really, who we think we are determines what we do. That is why in our psalm this morning, David asks this question, who are mortals? Or more personally for us, the question is, who am I? Who are you? What would you say if someone asked you, who are you? Or if you asked yourself, who am I? Our identities are often shaped by what we do, our personalities, what we like or what we don't like. And actually, often it is also by our relationships. Our relationships for me as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, a sister. Who are you? Who am I? One of the things that I say to my kids often before I drop them off, especially at school or at a friend's house, I say to them, kids, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And I say that because I want them to be grounded in their identity, that their identity is not in simply their personality, what they like to do, or who they're friends with. I want their identity to be grounded in knowing that they are children of God. Now, I confess that my husband Phil and I don't always do a good job of making my kids um, always feel like they are the beloved children of God that we say they are. Because inadvertently and not purposely, we make them feel that they need to meet our expectations to be loved. Parents can often be guilty of that, even when we don't mean to be. And we often do that through these expectations, sometimes of things like sports. And so for my son in particular, 
for whatever reason, it is baseball. We are at the tail end of our baseball season in Little League. And for some reason, this has been a fun event for him, but also kind of a triggering event for Bennett and my husband, Phil, his dad. Because Phil has gone out and tried to practice with him on his pitching or his throwing or his batting. And most recently this season, Bennett has been pitching more frequently. And so Phil has been trying to teach him the correct way to pitch. Last night, they were out in the backyard doing some pitching lessons. And every time Bennett pitched the ball, he would not follow my husband's instructions. And so my husband, instead of being particularly encouraging, he was honest and he kept saying, nope, that's not right. Nope, that's not right. Nope, that's not right. Do it again. Well, after a few times, my son got frustrated and he put his head down and kicked his feet and just started throwing the ball into the ground, which of course triggered my husband. And he said, fine, I'm done. And he walked into the house. This led to a meltdown for my 10-year-old son, who then got pretty angry. And, um, and then as we went out to try to talk to him, he started throwing balls across the, uh, over the fence out into the street, which of course was not okay. But as we went out to talk to him, he started walking down the street and actually started running, which, of course, is not okay. And it frustrated Phil and I. So I got in the car and I started driving down. And it took me a while, took a couple uh, drives around the block before I finally found him. And I said, get in the car. And, you know, he was angry and frustrated. This was probably about 8.30 at night as it was starting to get dark. I got in the car and we took a little drive. I said, Bennett, tell me what's going on here. And I know you're frustrated. And he's mad, but finally I get him to start talking, and he screams out. I was trying. I was trying really hard with Dad, and he just got mad at me. And Phil never raised his voice at that point. But in the past, he's gotten frustrated. And so Bennett was in that moment feeling that he was not meeting his father's expectations. And finally... He came out and he said, I asked him, what are you afraid of? And he said, I am afraid to mess up. I'm scared to mess up because then dad will be mad at me. And he just started breaking down and sobbing. And I grabbed him in my arms and I said, Bennett, I know you feel that way. And I am so, so sorry that your mom and I do not always do a good job of demonstrating to you in our actions that we love you no matter what. But I want to remind you the truth in this moment, even when we don't always express that perfectly because we are sinful as parents, the truth is you are loved, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. You're mine. You belong to me and you belong to God. And nothing you can do or not do will change that. Who you are is a child of God. You are God's. That is what Psalm 8 answers for us. What Psalm 8 reminds us of. One thing I was really struck by this week as I was studying Psalm 8 is the poetry of this psalm. And if you notice... And look again at the order of in which these 
short verses are put together, there is a very intentional order. And a literary person would notice that this order would look like this, A, B, C, B, A. There's a concentric structure. The psalm begins and ends with this outburst of a congregational praise to God, of God's majestic name. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth, the psalmist says, in both verse 1 and in verse 9. The book ends. And then right after that, the psalmist specifically praises God for particular works. He says, you have set your glory. You have overturned your enemies. Do you see that? You, you, you. What God has done. He does that in verse 2 and in verses 5 through 8. He says, you have made your people and you have given them dominion and created all the animals. And then right there in the very middle of the psalm, in verse 3, that is where the psalmist asks this question. Who are mortals? Who am I? That you would be mindful of them. That you, God, would be mindful of me. People, that you care for them. And as we look at the structure, we find that the psalmist is right dead center of being surrounded by God's goodness and by the praise of God's people. So the answer to the question, who am I, to the psalmist is, I am surrounded. That's what one theologian says is the answer to that question, who am I? We're surrounded by the gracious works of God and the gathered community of God's people. And that is a good and safe place to be, a place where you and I are not left to our own devices to figure out who we are, but we are given a place, a place where our identity is given to us by God. And out of that identity, God calls us to good works for his glory. That's who we are, people who are surrounded, surrounded by God's good works and by God's good community. Now, in contrast to my sometimes poor parenting, I read a story this week about a woman who tells a story of when her um, piano practicing turned from drudgery to joy. And this author had been watching her older sibling take piano lessons since the time she was six years old, so she couldn't wait when it was finally her turn to begin piano. She says at first she was enthusiastic about playing, but as time went on, her parents' expectations that she practice daily for 30 minutes became more of a rigid requirement than a discipline. So she became resentful of something that once brought her immense joy. She says she felt enslaved to an uncompromising standard that in all my striving left me frustrated, exhausted, and increasingly discouraged. So one afternoon, as she was expected to do, she, had, she sat down to practice at the piano. And she began sobbing uncontrollably and bitterly in complaint as she half-heartedly plunked notes on the piano. And undoubtedly, her mother was in the kitchen massaging her temples in mutual frustration. 
And right at that moment, she heard the door open and her father walked in from work. Now, her father had come in from an exhausting day of work himself. And at that moment, he could have done a whole number of things. He could have raised his voice. He could have rebuked her. He could have shamed her and saying how hard he had worked to pay for these piano lessons. He could have disciplined her tantrum by raising the expectations of saying, fine, 30 minutes, you think that's hard? Then you need to practice an hour. But he didn't do any of those things. Instead, after quickly understanding the situation, which was miserable for both her and her mother, without a single word, he came and sat down beside her at the piano. And shuffling through the music up on the stand, he picked out a piece of music, and he laid it in front of her, and he gently asked one question. He said, will you play this one for me? And she says, right then, like the snapping of a yoke or the tearing of a curtain, everything changed. What I felt in that moment was an unexpected flood of compassion, of kindness, and of mercy. And so she blinked back to her tears, and she began playing that song. And as that song came to a close, her dad found another piece of music and put it up. And again, ask that simple question. Now will you play this one for me? And so she played. Her resentment slowly softening to gratitude. Her obligation returning to joy. And as her dad sat there listening to song after song, she was shocked to realize that that kitchen timer which signaled the end of her practice session came much quicker than she had realized And as her father closed that last piece of music, he said to her with sincerity that she never forgot, thank you for playing for me, he said. And she said in that moment for the very first time in months, she never wanted to stop playing. She didn't realize it at the time, but that Thursday afternoon, she had reached the tipping point of exhaustion, the exhaustion that comes from striving to uphold some expectations because we think that those expectations will get us to be loved or to earn approval. And so when we are in that posture, we have suspicions that rules are unnecessary and restrictive and harsh. But what she experienced through her father's patience And love and his reaction was the beautiful tension of a heavenly father who was always full of grace and full of truth. Her father didn't change his expectations of her practicing, and yet he did not leave her alone to do it herself. He came alongside of her and shifted her motivation and focus from merely completing a task for approval to delighting her father, who already loved her more than she could ever imagine. And in that process, her bitter, resentful heart was transformed, and it enabled her to play with joy. Friends, it's the same with us. Our rest, our identity, comes from knowing who we are as God's beloved. Ephesians 
puts it this way. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you, were, you once lived, following the course of this world. All of us once lived among those in the passion of our flesh. But God, who was rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace You have been saved. And God is the one that raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are his. This is good news for those of us who might be hearing it for the very first time. But I think it's even better news for those who have heard it a hundred times or a thousand times. In fact, I think it gets better every time we hear it because I believe we are simply forgetful people. We are forgetful in what we say and what we do because we are forgetful in knowing who we are. And this reminder of who we really are is good news for me and it's good news for you. And it's this good news that we will once again remember as we take this bread and cup at this table. Reminded that at this table, even here in the center of this sanctuary, when we come and we ask, who am I? We are surrounded by this community that sings the praise of God, that reminds one another of what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. And that is good news, the reminder of who we are in Christ. We are his. Remember who you are and remember whose you are and rest in that identity. Amen. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord Jesus, you know how often I need the reminder, not only as a parent, but especially as your child, that my identity is not in what I do. My identity is not in how I meet expectations or how I often try to earn approval. God, my identity is solidly found. Our identity is solidly found in belonging to you. It's a simple message, and yet so often we forget it. Remind us afresh, Lord, That is not because of what we do, but it is because of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. For those who are exhausted, for those who have been striving, Lord, give us your grace afresh this morning that we can receive your grace anew. And that as we receive that, then we can respond with joy and gratitude and live out those works that you have created beforehand in Christ Jesus for us to do. Thank you, Lord, that that is the order, your love, and then our response to that love. In Christ we pray. Amen.